good morning, everyone. Uh, we want to welcome those who are worshiping with us at Pike Road, Wetumpka, on the internet all over the place. We're glad you're along for the ride. Uh, today, we are continuing on in our series entitled that uh, entitled Imperfect Does Not Mean Unusable. It does not. In fact, uh, when we think we are imperfect for God to use, then we are perfect for God to use. If that's good news to you this morning, would you say amen? Yeah, so I hope you'll be encouraged today. We've gone through this as really some character studies. This is the fourth installment on this. We've taken a look at the, some of the great heroes of the Bible, people that we would consider great heroes of the faith. And each time, each week, we're looking at the fact that these were pretty ordinary people. In fact, they were far from perfect. And today, you're going to see that in the life of Peter. And I want to have a word of prayer before we jump in, ask God to bless us, and then we'll get going. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity to be here today. I thank you that we can study your word. I thank you that your word is meant for ordinary people. And Heavenly Father, I pray that you will speak and move me out of the way. I thank you that you love uh, to use us in spite of our flaws. And I pray that today you'll give us great encouragement. We ask these things in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Hey, if you need a pen to fill in the blanks, just raise your hand and... uh, We'll we'll be glad to bring one to you. There's a lot worth taking notes on on this, by the way. Um, One of the core convictions of our church is is that God wants to use us in ministry. He really does. And there are many times when we think, well, I'm not qualified. I don't know enough. I'm not good enough. I I mean, God could use somebody else a lot better than me. Well, today you'll see that uh, Peter felt that way. And sometimes we feel that way. But just because we don't think we're qualified, that doesn't mean God shares that opinion. In fact, we're the people who disqualify ourselves uh, many times more than the Lord ever would. Point one, Peter was just a fisherman when Jesus called him. Peter was not a great theologian. He was not a learned scholar. He was a fisherman. And this is how it came about according to the Gospel of Luke, Luke 5. One day, as Jesus was preaching on the shores of the Sea of Galilee... Great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. Now let me just say this. Whenever Jesus went someplace, this was always like a a rock star. I mean, dead people would come back to life, and blind people would see, and demons would leave with a shriek. And Jesus taught with real authority when he taught the Bible. And so people went, I've never heard anything like this. And so when Jesus went somewhere, there were huge crowds that would follow him. He was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, and he was getting pushed into the water. So he stood in the boat and pushed out a little bit and gave himself an opportunity to speak to a larger crowd. That's what's going on. Well, after he finished speaking, uh, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, the owner of the boat, now go outwards deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. Now, net fishing works pretty simply. I mean, you have a large net with a kind of a, an opening that has weights around it and a drawstring attached to it so you can cast out the net and as the net settles down into the water it drops around the fish and then when it gets low enough you pull the the drawstring on it and it kind of seals it up like a bag and then you pull it back in whatever fish are caught in the net well that's your catch and you do this at night so the fish don't see the net coming because if they see the net coming they'll swim away 
This is now morning. It's broad daylight. This is not the time to go net fishing. And Jesus goes, trust me, you'll catch some fish. Anyway, so when he did this, he said, Master, if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. A shout for help brought the partners in the other, brought their partners in the other boat. Soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. And when Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus. And he said, Lord, please leave me. I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught as were the others with him, his partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee. They were also amazed. And Jesus replied to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. Now, this is really quite amazing. Peter knows it's amazing. I mean, he's been a lifelong fisherman. You don't go fishing that time of day using nets like that. That's, that's not going to work. But he's never even seen a catch like this. Nobody has. Nets are tearing, boats are about to sink, and he realizes, well, this is a miracle. I mean, this is, this man must be God. And so he goes, you, you got to get away from me, I'm too much of a sinner. Because that's what we think. We think that God hates sinners. And we think if we're sinners, then that disqualifies us from being in God's presence. But yet the Bible tells us that's precisely why Jesus came. He came into the world to save Sinners. If that's good news, would you say amen? amen? And Peter had to realize this. Now, I want to make a couple of applications here. First of all, the life application, I don't want to skip this point either. God loves to use ordinary people to carry out his work. Again, I mean, Peter, the story doesn't start out one day as Jesus was walking past a seminary. He grabs some professors and some people who wanted to be in full-time ministry. That's not what it says. One day, as Jesus was walking past an academy with the brightest minds in the world, one day, as Jesus was walking past an Olympic training ground with the best athletes in the world, I mean, it doesn't say any of those things. He was walking on the shore of Galilee, and he called some fishermen. I mean, they were hardworking guys, but they were ordinary guys. And those are exactly, who, those are exactly the kind of people Jesus wants to call. Paul talked about this. We've read this in every, we've read these verses in every single one of these installments because we need to remind ourselves of this. Remember, dear brothers or sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they're wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. And when you and I think we are too ordinary and there's nothing special about us and that God couldn't use us, God goes, Oh, that makes you perfect. I mean, who's the best person to go and reach out to that family moving in down the street? Well, probably me. Had a conversation with somebody not long ago. There were some issues that needed to be dealt with in their workplace, in their office, and there were some there was a lot of gossip going on. There was just a bad feel in the place, and a person came to see me and they said, It's important for this reason, this reason, and this reason. And you know, and that needs to be dealt with. I want you to pray with me. And so I said, well, let's pray. And so we prayed together that God would bring someone to awareness of what the problems were, and they'd be able to write out those problems and articulate it, that it'd be this reason, this reason, and this reason, that God would give them courage to go and deal with it. And all of a sudden they finish praying, they go, that sounded like you were praying for me. And I go, oh, I was, I hadn't gotten to your name yet, but yes, that was it. 
Now look, there are so many times, it doesn't matter if there's a problem in my office or a family down the street or somebody who just needs a friend and we go, somebody ought to do something about that. What about me? Well, I'm not good enough. I'm just an ordinary person. So is Peter. As ordinary as ordinary gets. And then I started talking about this a little bit ago. Next life application. God also loves to use redeemed sinners to carry out his work. Well, John, you don't know, though. I'm too much of a sinner. Well, I read you from Luke 5, 1 through 11. Here's Luke 5, 30. Jesus not only called those fishermen to follow him, he also called a man by the name of Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector, a notorious sinner. And after Jesus called him to be a disciple, Matthew was so thrilled, he went and called all his friends, had a big party so they could meet his new boss, Jesus. And they were just as, they were a bunch of filthy, rotten sinners just like he was. Well, the religious establishment didn't like that at all. And in Luke 5.30, we find this, the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples. Why do you eat and drink with such scum? Jesus answered them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I've come to call not those who think, think they're righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. Now, underline somewhere in here, I have come to call. A lot of times we'll even read a passage like this, well, yeah, he came to call them to repent and they need to get saved. Well, that's not all he asked out of Matthew. That's not all he asked out of Peter. He didn't just ask him to repent of his sins and get saved. That's obviously part of it, to come follow Jesus. But I'm going to make you a fisher of men. He said that to Peter and he said that to Matthew. He didn't just call them to get saved. He called them to join him in ministry. I mean, let this sink in. Jesus chooses to use sinners who come to him and repent. That's what it means to be redeemed, to be bought back. Somebody paid the price for you and me, and that somebody is Jesus. And Jesus came to to use, to call redeemed sinners into ministry. Oh my goodness, I hope we can hear this. Lord, get away from me. I'm too much of a sinner. Peter, you're perfect. If you know how much of a sinner you are and that you need saving, you're halfway there. And if we could just believe this, that God chooses to use people just like us, imperfect. I'll never forget a few years ago, a woman came to see me. I had been at a meeting. I'd been in full-time ministry for a while and She'd been in a meeting where I attended, and um, she felt like one of the things I said at the meeting was rude, and I had offended her, and she said a couple other people at the meeting, and I listened to her, and I agreed that she was right. I shouldn't have said that. That was rude, and I apologized to her, and I said I'd be glad to apologize to the others at the meeting, and I hadn't meant it to come out that way, but I'd, I'd been rude. And she said, well, you just can't do that as a minister, and I said, I know. It won't happen again. And she goes, no, you can't do that. I mean, if you do that as a minister, then you shouldn't be in ministry. I said, well, what are you talking about? She goes, well, you know, I mean, to be a minister, you have to be perfect. And I was going, okay, you don't, you don't know any ministers, do you? Okay, I mean, uh, I want you to understand this, that God calls people into ministry. I said, look, I got into ministry because I was called. If you want to get to the front of the line about saying that, you're not, that I'm not qualified for ministry, you've got to get behind me. The only thing that qualifies me for ministry is that Jesus called me. 
You know what qualifies you for ministry? Jesus calls you. What's the call look like? The same way it looked for Matthew, the same way it looked for Peter. Come follow me. Hey, go help that person. And all of a sudden you get this gnawing feeling in your heart going, I need to speak up. I need to reach out. I need to say I'm sorry. I need to forgive that person. I need to start doing this. That's what qualifies you when you're certain God's put it on your heart to do. But I'm too much of a sinner. Mm-mm, not if we're willing to repent. So I told this woman when we we're talking, I said, well, all right, well, if we're going to go your way, then help me write a sermon on how, I, how John, Schmitt, John Schmidt reached perfection and how you can too. And she said, well, you're not perfect. And I go, well, you can't have your cake and eat it too. Of course I'm not perfect. And if you have an hour, you can come see me about what God's taught me this year. Every minister I know is on a constant, straight-up learning curve. Every Christian I know is supposed to be. God uses everything in our lives to teach us, to teach us about his love and his forgiveness, to show us areas in our life where we have bad attitudes and we have unreasonable fears and crazy expectations sometimes about life. And he teaches us all these things through his word, and he teaches us how to love other people, sometimes even through painful experiences, but he's bringing us along, and he wants to do that. If I can encourage you today, don't be afraid to follow Jesus because you've been a sinner. He came into the world to save sinners and to call them into ministry. And that's exactly what he's saying there in Luke 5. Another life application is this, then. God will use me if I'm willing to follow wherever he leads. Don't miss that when they got to shore, they had this greatest catch of fish they'd ever had. It doesn't say they got to shore. They went to the market, sold all the fish for a boatload of money, went and got new equipment, and spread out and started a new fishing fleet. That's not what happened. It says when they got to shore, they left everything and followed Jesus. The big thing is, when God shows me a need, and I'm certain, even talking to others, that, yeah, you really can do that. I'll pray for you on this. When God shows us things to do, We need to go. God will use us. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways. Take up your cross daily and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. Oh, if we just trust him more. So Peter was just an ordinary fisherman, a sinner, nobody special. But the thing is, Peter was willing to follow Jesus. And I want you to be encouraged today. God used him mightily. But before we get to that, let's go to point two. Um, Peter walked with Jesus for a little over three years. And at a critical time, at the end of those three years, uh, Peter failed. At a critical time in his ministry, Peter failed. And this is important because some of us have failed too, and we think this disqualifies us. That's why you need to hear this. Point A, Peter thought he was strong enough to bravely follow Jesus no matter the cost. Peter thought he was pretty brave, pretty stout. He was a fisherman. I mean, he was obviously pretty tough. The night before he was crucified, Jesus had the Lord's Supper with his disciples, and he told them, tonight all of you will desert me. He had told them he was going to be crucified the next day. He'd be handed over to the chief priests and the Pharisees, and they would mock him, spit on him, and they would crucify him. He told him exactly what was going to happen. And he said, worse than that, tonight all of you will desert me, for the scriptures say, God will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. 
But after I've been raised from the dead, I'll go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. Peter declared, even if everyone else deserts you, I'll never desert you. And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night before the rooster crows, you'll deny three times you even know me. No, Peter insisted, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the other disciples vowed the same. But Jesus was arrested later that night in the Garden of Gethsemane, middle of the night, hauled off uh, to a mock trial, a travesty of a trial at a chief priest's house. Peter followed along and was listening in the courtyard. Now, to Peter's credit, he had made a bold stand at first. When they came to arrest Jesus, he pulled out a small sword and chopped off a man's ear, but Jesus had just healed the man. So that didn't amount to much. He told Peter to put away the sword, and then Peter and the other disciples kind of drifted away, melted away. Peter showed up in the courtyard of the priest. This is under point B. Under pressure, Peter gave in to fear, and he denied Jesus. Meanwhile, Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. He was listening to the proceedings going on, and a servant girl came over and said to him, You were one of those with Jesus, the Galilean. But Peter denied it in front of everyone. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Later, out by the gate, another servant girl noticed him and said to those standing around, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. Again, Peter denied it, this time with an oath. I don't even know the man, he said. A little later, some of the other bystanders came over to Peter and said, You must be one of them. We can tell by your Galilean accent. And Peter swore, A curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know the man. And immediately, the rooster crowed. And suddenly, Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows, you'll deny three times you even know me. And he went away, weeping bitterly. Peter was ordinary. Peter had led a sinful life. And Peter was fearful. A life application here. We must never attempt to follow Jesus in our own strength. Again, I read you two passages from the same chapter in the Bible, from Matthew 26. I skipped over a part in the middle. I want to highlight it now. Jesus had told the disciples they would, all, they would run away from him and Peter would deny him three times. Before that came to pass, however, he'd gone to pray with them in that Garden of Gethsemane where he was arrested. He had told them what was going to happen. He said, guys, I need you to pray with me for strength for this. The hour is at hand here, and this is, this is going to be difficult. Come pray with me. And Peter and the others, a few others, had gone with Jesus, but they all kept falling asleep. So Jesus came back to them one time after he'd been praying, and, and he told them, keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation, for the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Peter thought his flesh was strong. Peter thought he was brave enough he could go the distance for Jesus no matter what. But when the going got tough, Peter got afraid. And the same thing's true for you and me. If you've ever tried to follow Jesus in your own strength and do things the way you think they need to be done without God's help, I got this, I don't need to pray, I'm good. Man, it's not long before you fail. And one of the great lessons I've had to learn over and over again in ministry is to depend on the Lord and not my own strength. You can go find anybody who's been following Jesus for a long time and obedient or obedient to him, and you ask them, hey, what's the secret? I mean, do you just set your mind on this? How do you have so much courage? And they'll say, oh, no, it's the other way around. I've just learned to bring all my problems to Jesus, and he gives me the strength I need. 
And Peter learned that lesson the hard way. And he wept bitterly. I include that because this brings us to point three, that Jesus restored Peter and used him mightily. I mean, we haven't yet covered that in one of these lessons, but there are times in our lives, I mean, Peter had been following Jesus for three years. He had seen Jesus do miracles. He had actually been used by God to be the instrument through which miracles were performed. Jesus had sent him and the other disciples out and the people had been healed. Demons had been cast out. And Peter knew what it was like to be around Jesus. He also knew what it was like to fail. I mean, it's one thing if Jesus calls you and you repent, but can Jesus restore you? What if you've blown it? What if you failed? If you ever wondered that, welcome to Peter and to his story. Now, what's so amazing is Jesus had told the disciples, hey, I'll go ahead of you to Galilee and I'll talk to you there. But here's how that all came about. This is from John 21. Jesus has risen from the dead. Peter and others have seen the tomb empty. Jesus has appeared to them. And as they went up to Galilee, um, this is what happened next. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. The other disciples, a bunch of the other disciples went with him. So they went out into the boat and they caught nothing all night. I hope this story reminds you of the story we started with. If it doesn't, you can flip back and go, Peter and the others have been fishing all night the day that Jesus called him. This is all set up by Jesus. He didn't want Peter to miss this, that the same Jesus who called him was still calling him. Don't miss it. So they went in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach. He called out, fellows, you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw out your net on the right side of the boat. Then you'll get some. I mean, again, as Peter's doing this, this had to be deja vu all over again. So they did. They threw out the net, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. And then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he'd stripped for work. He jumped into the water and headed to shore. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to shore. And when they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Well, then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know I love you. Well, then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And notice this. Peter was hurt that Jesus asked him, a, asked him the question a third time. And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Why three times? Because Peter had denied him three times. Why the whole thing with catching the fish again? He wanted to remind him, Peter, I'm still calling you, but don't do this in your own bravado, in your own strength. And you'll notice Peter's answer wasn't the third time, Lord, I'll never deny you. I'll die with you. That's not what he said. This time he said, Lord, you know. This is your deal. Now you're ready. Now you're ready. It's an important note. Peter became a bold champion for Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. The secret wasn't that Peter mustered up new strength and more courage. Mm-mm. 
Peter was just an ordinary guy, a redeemed sinner, who was afraid of some things. But what changed him was this. In Acts 1.8, it says, You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. And on Pentecost Sunday, the Holy Spirit was poured out on Peter and the others, and that same timid, get-away-from-me-Jesus ordinary fisherman became a bold witness for Jesus. I'll give you an example from Acts 4. This is just a few months later, after Jesus has been crucified. Peter and John have been arrested. They've done amazing miracle. God has done an amazing miracle through them in the name of Jesus when a lame man is healed. And Peter and John have been arrested because they're giving Jesus the credit for it. And so they're standing in front of the same people who had wanted Jesus put to death, the same council. And here's what Peter said. This is Peter. And listen to the way Luke describes this in Acts 4. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to the same people whom he was afraid to even be in the courtyard with, few months earlier, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, there is salvation in no one else. God has given no name, no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. And the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see they were ordinary men, notice all this, with no special training in the scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. They'd been with Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, and now timid Peter is bold all because the Holy Spirit changed him, empowered him. That brings us to a life application. We can become bold champions for Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit too. We can. I can. You can. But we've got to be willing to go. We've got to be willing to trust him. That the same God who calls us is the same God who's going to equip us. The Apostle Paul commenting on this in 2 Corinthians 4. You see, we don't go around preaching about ourselves. We preach that Jesus Christ is Lord, and we ourselves are your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let there be light in the darkness, has made this light shine in our hearts so that we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God and not from ourselves. Peter, when he's asked... By what authority did you do this miracle? By the name of Jesus. There's no other name. He didn't say because we're great and awesome. He said Jesus is great and awesome. Paul said we carry around the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's like a treasure inside of a fragile clay jar. The people in that day used clay jars to store their stuff the same way we use cardboard boxes when we move. If I had a million dollar piece of artwork and I put it in a cardboard moving box to transport it, that box would now become worth a million dollars. Not because it was a special kind of cardboard, but because it contained a million dollar treasure. And Peter and Paul would both testify, hey, what gives us power is not us, it's God's Holy Spirit inside of us, shining out through us. That's where the boldness came from. That's where the right answers came from. I can't tell you how many times I have seen God do this in my own life. Where I've been in ministry situations, I have no idea what to say, and an idea will flash across my brain, something that I just read or something that I hadn't thought of in a long time, and it's exactly the right thing to say. Some of you have heard me share this before, but uh, a time where this was, put to the, uh, was really put to the test would God give me the right words to say 
I had a friend who called me one day. He said his father had passed away. And I was in my car on a cell phone, and I was just a few miles from his house. So I said, I'll be there in about 10 minutes. So I pull up, and there were a number of cars there, and I assumed people were in there you know, to, to comfort him and encourage him and stuff. He met me at the door. He said, John, thanks so much for coming. And he walks me into his living room. In the living room, there's like 20 people, relatives of his dad who had passed away. And um, they were in there, and he goes, hey, everyone, this is John Schmidt, my pastor. Uh, he has something to say to us all. And then he sat down. Now, I don't know about you, but this is when you believe in prayer. Okay, you do. You go, Lord, give me something to say here. It's like, he had, he had left out that part when he said, come over. So I'm going, what would I say? And I really, I remember just going, Lord, will you give me the right words to say? And instantly what flashed in my mind was what I had read in my devotional the day before. I had marked it in my Bible. And I said, well, you know, I want to share with you all something that God showed me just yesterday. And I want to tell you, it was more perfect than anything, if I had studied for a month, I couldn't have said anything more perfect. And we're walking out to the car, and he goes, man, John, I don't know how you do that. And I go, well, it's all that superior training I've had. That's what it is. <laughs> I can tell you I did not say that. I said what Peter said. There's no other name. I said, I didn't know your family was going to be there. I will tell you this, though. I believe in a sovereign God who called me into ministry, and he's going to equip me. And I told him, I count on it all the time. I pray, Lord, if you're going to put me in a situation, then just show me what to say. Give me the right words. Give me the courage. You gave Peter the boldness. You gave him the right words. Give them to me. And after the 8 o'clock service, I had somebody come up to me. They went, do you remember when I first met you? I came to your office, and you handed me something that you had just read the day before, and it was perfect. I said, yeah. She said, that really does happen all the time. Of course it does. And some of you have many more stories. You go, it was as if God had set the whole thing up from eternity past. Well, yeah, if you believe in that sort of thing. And I do believe in that sort of thing. Philippians 2.13, last reference in your outline. God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. That's why you noticed the family moving in down the end of the street. That's why you noticed all the problems at the office. That's why you noticed, hey, I can make a difference. That's God putting that desire in you. Well, if you put that desire in you, he's going to give you the power to get it done. If that's good news, would you say amen? amen. All right, well, then let's rehearse this. I want you to read out loud with me, Philippians 2.13. Let's read that together out loud, please. For God is working in you giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. I mean, what if we looked in the mirror tomorrow morning before the day started, we taped this, put it on a sticky note and put it on the mirror and read it out loud to ourselves in the mirror. John, today God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. That would change our lives. But John, I'm just an ordinary person. So is Peter. John, I've had a sinful past. So did Peter. John, I've tried stuff on my own and I've failed. So did Peter. And I could tell you, just like Peter, I have found God giving me the right words at exactly the right time and giving me the courage I needed to follow through. And it was not because of John Schmidt, but because of the power 
of the Holy Spirit. And that's not a limited time offer only for me. This is a 24-7 offer for all of us, and we're going to pray about it right now. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to be here today. I thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit. I thank you, Lord, that you are the one who gives us the desire and the power to do what pleases you. And, Father, I just pray that you will give us enough courage to trust you. If the Lord has spoken to you today about something in your life where you know he's calling you to get something done, you know he's calling you to speak up, you know he's calling you to be kind to somebody, say, Lord, I've heard you. Just help me get it done. Give me backbone. Give me kindness. Give me courage to follow you. Oh God, I thank you for stories of stories like Peter, ordinary guy, redeemed sinner, fearful and failing when he does it in his own strength. Mighty champion for Jesus when he's filled with the Holy Spirit. I pray, Lord, we'll surrender every part of our lives to you. Oh, God, help us face the future unafraid. Open our eyes to things around us. We're not all called into full-time ministry, but we're all called to serve you somewhere. Thank you that Peter and the others dropped their nets and followed you. I pray that we'll just do it. We'll trust you. In the wonderful name of Christ, we pray these things together. Amen.